but I think it's just choose your mentors really carefully because um, and speak to lots of people before you start committing. You, you need to have lots of conversations and then from that, be very, very specific about who you pick. Never be afraid to look for what you need and talk to that person. Most people will have time to offer their opinion and you're going to get probably uh, more solid advice or, you know, more grounded if, uh, you know, the person isn't, it isn't their business, right? They're there to, you know, support you. All right, everybody, welcome back to Founder Vision. Today, Brian and I are speaking with Dr. Matthew Wilson and Patty Ward of UMED. Matthew is the founder and CEO, and Patty is a head of product. How are you doing, guys? Really good. I'm doing great, thank you. So tell me a little bit about UMED and how you got to to where you are right now in your in your journey. Yeah, sure. So um, I, just to give a kind of bit of background first, I suppose, uh, I'm a I'm a physician by background and uh, had been working in the NHS and, and previous to that in the UK military. And, you know, I absolutely loved my, my clinical time. I really enjoyed being a doctor. But the, the thing that always kind of frustrated me was was treating one patient at a time. Um, and particularly within anesthetics, anesthesiology, which was my specialty, you know, it's very, very focused on one individual patient, one patient at a time, which is fantastic. But it, it does create that frustration when you can see these huge problems in health. And, you know, it's never going to get solved by treating one patient at a time, hmm. at least the way I saw it. And so I was always really interested in technology. And at the same time, I could see these huge trends evolving in terms of the maturity of using electronic health records um, for improving the way that we deliver research. And uh, that, that reflected, you know, that, that was kind of closely related to some of the research that I was involved in when I was, when I was doing my clinical jobs. And from that, we started to kind of really synthesize this idea of trying to understand, well, look, where is, where is the real value in health record data in the context of medical research and there, there's been lots of companies out there that are trying to use that in different ways and we wanted to create a way that was both extremely ethical in terms of how we're utilizing that data but also very powerful and what we came on is the UMED platform which is this very unique way of being able to connect health records back to the patients so we can find specific patients that we need for research programs and then outreach to them on behalf of their healthcare provider um, to ask them if they want to be part of these studies and then, if necessary, collect additional information from them. Uh, and what we found is that's a really, really kind of powerful recipe because it means that we can do so much more and create huge amounts of impact in terms of these clinical trials and studies that we are helping organizations deliver. Hmm. Tell me tell me about that journey then from, from being a doctor to being a startup founder. What was the most challenging step in that pivot um one of the challenging steps was uh the need to at some point give up clinical medicine because um you know i was on a you know i'd, I'd, I'd done the hard part right i was already a doctor i'd got through my my kind of junior doctor uh internship period and i was kind of cruising my way towards uh you know being a, a consultant or an attending you know equivalent in in the us and um 
that's quite a nice place to be on, you know, and, and a very, very, very fortunate place. So to kind of jump off from there and then do this crazy startup that nobody really kind of understood that was very high risk was, you know, mind boggling to a lot of people. Um, and I suppose, you know, it did, it did happen over a period of time. So I started doing more and more on my startup in UMED and less and less clinical and then eventually, you know, stop the clinical medicine altogether. So it wasn't a completely binary thing, but it, there were some pretty key steps where I had to essentially give up that uh, that process. Where you know, in a two three years time, I would have been I would have been in attending, and uh, you know, been on a trajectory to having a, a pretty pretty nice uh, you know pretty nice career. Um, so I think that sort of, but behind it all, for me, there was just this. There was just this. I knew I wouldn't have been happy you know, doing that as a full-time job. And, and I, I loved entrepreneurship. I loved the idea of starting a company and, and doing something really meaningful with that. Um, so, you know, it was hard, but at the same time, it was something I knew that I had to do. I just had to find the balls to do it and, and actually get on with it. Hmm. How did you get from, from that first idea, I want to start this company to having a team? How did you get from having the idea in your own head to having others join you in this process, including Patty? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the first thing to say is, I mean, I was, this is, this is the second medical startup, right. That I've started the first one, which we don't talk about is because it failed. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So the, so the first one was, um, uh, it was about 20, uh, tw early 2015. I think I was, um, I was actually still a military doctor, so I was I was away with the Royal Marines in in uh, Norway, in northern Norway, doing Arctic warfare training. And um, the the thing about Norway that's amazing is they have a fantastic internet connection. And um, uh, and uh, so I also had a lot of time on my hands. So after I did my Arctic warfare training part, I was then generally doing medical cover for for all of the other guys that are out there. And uh, because of that, I had quite a lot of time on my hands, and believe it or not, I picked up on the way out there. I I flew through a civilian airport and picked up um, startup. Um, no, sorry, I, I picked up Inc. Inc. Magazine, and uh, just because you know why not, uh, and um, started flicking through it and just found myself really engrossed with some of the stories about founders and, and the companies that they'd started, and uh, I started putting together these ideas whilst I was out there. And this first startup was really focused around how we can create a, a sort of commons around medical evidence. So to so research papers that come out, they're, they're the fundamental sort of lifeblood of how we, how we do medicine, but actually the vast majority of doctors that are out there and, and, and nurses that use these papers, you know, have never really read them. They don't really ever engage with them. It's kind of the knowledge sort of just, creeps out and where it creeps out it, it it's uh, there's an awful lot of bias involved in that um so this idea was actually if we could create a sort of commons around this then we could have a real dialogue about how those papers could translate into real practice that can help patients um and i actually managed to put it together i put it on a on a funding website um uh, i think it was I, I don't think it was angel list i think but it was something similar to angel list and um by chance managed to get connected with the an angel who who gave me a small amount of cash to be able to go and to go and say you know it sounds like you've got a great idea Matt go for it he just exited his own company which was in medical recruitment um 
and had some cash burning a hole in his pocket clearly uh, and wanted to start doing doing some angel investing um and the you know what was really interesting we did that for about two years um and it taught me a huge amount about how not to do a startup and how not to uh what are the kind of key metrics that you really kind of need to understand that, that drives a business? And I think that was the key revelation for me. And that was, it's not a, wasn't a bad idea. It was a bad business. And and those two mm. things can be, you, you can have a great idea, but it can be a really rubbish business. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know about vice versa, but certainly you can, you can have a, a good idea. that's not a, not a great business. And that was one of those, in my opinion, it was a, you know, it was a real need, but the, the fundamental economics of it didn't work. It would cost too much to acquire a user onto the platform to incentivize them to actually join and engage. And the, you know, the lifetime value of that was not clear. You know, the way that we were going to monetize that was not, um, you know, was not ever really achieved. We had some ideas, but it never kind of came, you know, never really came together. And interestingly, there's been some other organizations out there that have done something similar since, and I think they've all struggled in the same way. Um, so that kind of taught me a lot and what realized is we just weren't building that momentum that there wasn't there wasn't that interest we were throwing different ideas out there trying to improve the platform trying to you know and we certainly weren't doing it in the right way either we weren't doing that kind of real product focused approach but through that all it got to the point where i realized that this was never going to get to where i wanted it to be but through that process i was very fortunate to meet uh some other some other investors. I was also able to meet a huge number of other people that kind of were heavily involved in this kind of health and life science space and technology mm-hmm. space. And from that, was able to synthesize what is UMED now as uh, a much more kind of robust concept. And happily, the the first investor that gave me that very first angel investment actually, despite the fact he didn't get a return on that, ended up kind of re-upping and joining for the very first round of UMED as well. So it, I guess it kind of had a, had a happy ending, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So you you learned this first lesson, and you must have learned it. You must have failed gracefully enough to have maintained the trust of of your contacts and your your initial angel investor, and that says that says a lot. And what did you then bring into UMed? That what what experience? What did you do differently in UMed to make sure that you had a good business and not just a good idea? So I think the first, so, so one thing I think is about the size of, and, and I hear this still all the time from, from, from investors, both our current investors and our prospective investors that we're speaking to as well, is um, you need to have a vision that's grand enough to be investable in terms of venture metrics, right? You can't, you know, and, and I think it's really difficult for, us kind of mere mortals you know who've never been kind of engaged in that space to understand what that really means like you have to have a business that can credibly we're obviously when all the things go right but you have to have something that can achieve that kind of 1b plus exit because if if, if you don't the the it just doesn't stack up for you know you might be able to it, it might work for some kind of early angels you know but certainly once you get into institutional funding you know my experience is that they just won't look at you unless you at least have a vision whether or not it's credible or not is another thing but you at least have to believe that that's going to grow to a company that's a 1b plus company and and UMED in terms of the total addressable market the space that we were in you know how hot it is in terms of in in terms of the opportunity 
definitely fulfilled that. So I think that was one kind of big tick in the box that I realized I just wasn't being ambitious enough, ambitious mm-hmm. enough in my in that first startup to to create a company that was you know investable from a from a venture capital perspective. Yeah, and yeah, and so coming from that, my, my next question is: What's the scariest thing about going from being an anesthesiologist working with one patient at a time to the idea of leading a billion-dollar company? Well, I, I think the interesting thing from my experience is that it, it you know, one, it you, you you obviously have to kind of believe in yourself, and I think that, and you also have to have this sort of tenacity. Like even now, I think back and and I think you know, like I mean, I was crazy to think we could get to even where we are now um you know and and i obviously am very confident that we're going to get all the way to all the way to the end uh, and then some um but you know i remember speaking to some early investors and they were like it's just like there's no way you can convince all of the people that you need to convince to kind of make this happen and um and the, you know I, I i think there's just this inbuilt tenacity in some people and and founders I think you find an abundance where you just can't help but just keep going and it's just you know the idea of failing is worse than just keeping going um and maybe that's a bit of my kind of you know sort of military days but the idea of the idea of not kind of seeing it through was worse than failing which is a why I think although that first startup failed you know I sort of I don't know if gracefully is the right word, but I somehow sort of transitioned into UMED. So it was never kind of, you know, it was never a full fail flat on my face and then started again. It was, you know, it was always, you know, kind of going to turn into something else. So, but then I think once you get there, you know, you, you realize you build some fantastic team around you, people like Patty, people like Chris and others. And actually they're the ones that are then, telling me how to go and build the different parts of the business right you know because i'm i'm not a product person i'm not a technologist i'm a, you know a dumb anesthesiologist that just knows a few things about medicine um and but but once you've kind of you know and, and of course it helps when you get a bit of investment but once you've kind of really built out that kind of core vision and then got those key first people on board i find a lot of it actually you know kind of just comes you know you, you get more and more people that that believe in what you're doing and, and helping me understand what it is i need to do to get to that next step whether that be investors or whether it be the, the the kind of senior team around me and um and you know it just it it, it just builds that momentum and it certainly feels like we're on that track now patty i think you probably agree yeah definitely yeah how, i'm curious how you how you integrate that uh the need for or integrate that drive and that determination with also being ready to pivot or change your previous company, you know, it took some time to recognize that, that it wasn't working. And there must've been some signals earlier on that if they had been listened to earlier, this is just always the case that could have, uh, could have been helpful to have listened to and changed course sooner. And how do you, how do you balance the, the need to be realistic with, the information on the ground and also still have a drive that is, you know, as, as many people, many founders describe like in the face of adversity. So I think it is one of the hardest things because I think there's plenty of, you know, and, and in, in, including me in that first toss up that sort of got that balance wrong to start with. But I think 
and I think one of the other toughest things to do in, in, in the context of that question is knowing who to listen to and who not to listen to, because if you listen to everybody, you would never start. And, uh, and if you don't listen to anybody, you would end up with, you'd be a, you know, a lunatic that just created something that wasn't fit for anybody. And it would be, and it would fail. So, so you have to listen to people, but you, you also have to kind of somehow take a view on what to listen to and what not to. And in, in my opinion, it's just trying to get as many data points as you can and then trying to have a way to sort of validate this, the, you know, the strength of that evidence, that strength of that data point. And, and I sort of find if you get enough you get enough kind of consensus around a particular topic from enough people, then you, you sort of can start to feel that's kind of signaling the noise. And I think the other thing that happens is then you get this sense of that kind of gut feeling, which, mm. you know, it's interesting because in, 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 in clinical medicine, there's been quite a lot of research done around, um, you know, what makes you an expert, right? What makes, you know, and, and what makes people, um, better or worse at being a doctor and you know one of the the most important factor beyond beyond your brilliance as an individual beyond your you know whether you've come from whatever university is simply just the amount of medicine that you do you know there, there's some really interesting studies looking into surgery that look at what the primary sort of driver was in terms of outcomes for patients that had certain types of surgery and the overwhelming single factor was just the number of hours that that surgeon did with that particular that particular surgery so mm. it didn't really matter if you actually came from you know a not particularly good university and you hadn't got kind of great grades you could still be better than the professor if you just did more hours um, in terms of that surgery and I think there's a little bit of that that's true in any kind of in, in every walk of life like if you end up immersing yourself and spending enough time and listening to enough people then what you end up getting is this sort of you, you, you get this this intuition which you know manifests itself as being a gut feeling and that gut feeling i definitely felt in that first startup where i kept going back but i had just this nagging feeling that this isn't going anywhere and and I think once you get that and it and and you've validated it and it keeps coming back, then that's when you've got to be true to yourself and say, do you know what this? There's something fundamentally wrong here, um, and mm. you know, and it's great because it's you know in UMed, uh, you know, we, we, I don't have that feeling at all. You know, if anything, it's it's the it's the complete opposite. You know, if anything, it's the daunting opportunity um, of kind of what we need to be able to do for, to fulfill on that opportunity rather than that that sort of gut-wrenching feeling of knowing that perhaps there's something here that's just fundamentally not right. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask Patty now, uh, and this, this is a question for both of you, but I, I want to bring Patty into the conversation. How do you, when, when each of you have, as you're developing in this business, you're developing this intuition, and at times you have conflicting in, intuitions naturally, how do you approach that as a team? Well, I think, you know, early on, I think Matt probably mentioned this in his, uh, he learned from his first startup is he knows what he knows and he knows what he doesn't, right? So he doesn't try to be, we don't all try to be experts in everything, right? So I did join UMed very early on. 
because I am a product person. You know, I've worked at startups. I've worked at corporations. I have a lot of good product experience. And he brought me early in, on, in early so I could help guide the team so that when we ran into those issues where which way do we go, especially in a complex space, we had a group of people who had been there before, hmm. even if we weren't all full-time employees. And I think being able to have that kind of from the beginning, that not one person is the expert and not one person you know, gets to make all the decisions. So we really do respect each what each other brings to the table. A lot of times that helps us not get into these circular problems where we get in our own way. Right. Mm -hmm. And you see that with a lot of startups, you know, especially when it comes time to be true to the vision that you started out being. You know, you get pulled in a lot of different directions, you know, but with us, we were able to have this group of experts and have a team where everybody was able to contribute from very early on. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like Matt, what what uh, what would you say are the things that you've liked and disliked the most about um, starting your own business, um, and the, namely the things that were you unexpectedly liked and disliked? So, uh, the, a lot of people say they hate fundraising, um, but I kind of quite weirdly enjoy it in a sort of slightly masochistic way, right? Because because it, mm -hmm. it's sort of this it, it's it's just a challenge, right? I see it as a, I see it as this kind of fun challenge where you, you know, you've got these people and they're there to listen to you. And, you know, you've got to remember that they, they want to deploy their capital, of course, but, but it's just a, I, I find, and then they're always generally pretty bright people as well, you know, very bright people often. So it's, you know, you're almost certainly not the smartest person in the room. And if you think you are, then you're, you're definitely going to be in trouble. So you've got these kind of super smart people that are there challenging you. And, and I, I, I weirdly quite like it. I, I, I find it really enjoyable to kind of pitch and then also try to understand, you know, if it, if it didn't go well, why didn't it go well? Like what, what was it, you know, and actually again, kind of use that as a data point, you know, what, what was it about that? And then try to kind of refine that and make it better. So that was one of those parts that I actually sort of, you know, I don't, don't like it all the time, but I mean, there's certain parts of it that I, I do actually quite enjoy that I probably didn't expect to enjoy. Um, I mean, the other thing that just is just very exciting is when you see the change actually happening after all this time because especially for a company like UMED there's there's an awful lot of foundational stuff that needed to happen right we had to get all of these kind of quite complex relationships in place with healthcare providers we had to ensure all of the kind of data protection and governance things were in place we had to build the core platform we had to build the relevant tools to actually engage the patients and support it. So it took time and it took a huge amount of that, that kind of foundational uh, investment in terms of time and money. But, but actually, you know, I remember the first time we started sending out messages to patients for a particular study and then just seeing the seeing these patients signing up. And then the other end of that is actually we're, we're running some more, more kind of complex studies now where we actually support the study with with a study nurse who engages with a patient and just hearing their feedback about how happy they are to be able to be part of this study and support it, it is incredibly rewarding. And I hadn't actually kind of expected that, if I'm honest. It's, it's really great to be able to, because you kind of know that it, they, they wouldn't have been in that study 
if it hadn't have been for UMED, if it hadn't have started it. So, so kind of, and I, I hadn't really expected it to kind of be like that. I sort of, you know, but it, but it, it was, it's so binary, you know, it just wouldn't, wouldn't have happened if we didn't have UMED, you know, so it's um, that I find a really satisfying part of what we do. Right. I was going to say, I think really a lot of Matt's medical background actually helped in the startup world, right? Yeah. So he's he's dealt with a lot of crises and people dying mm. and all that other, all a lot of, you know, life and death decisions, you know, so when you get into startup land, he does, he's really good at keeping us all even keel and moving forward, right? It, things don't become crises and blow up and, you know, we just keep it moving. I think that that is something that a lot of founders don't have. It could always be worse, right? You know, you're not in ED recess at 3am doing something terrible. So, and that's great. It's, an, it's a nice kind of framing to be able to kind of look back on is no matter how crazy it gets, you know, it, it's never going to be life and death, right? We're never going to actually be in a position where, or at least I hope not, if it does, then something's gone really wrong uh, at UMED. But, um, but generally it's, it's never going to be that bad. So I think it's a useful framing because it does get very, everybody gets very passionate, you know, and I think I've invested uh, the, you know, kind of better part of my thirties in, in kind of entrepreneurship and I'm sure we'll continue to do so well into my forties. And, you know, other people have given up their jobs. They've given up well-paying jobs in, in, you know, established companies and they've come to come and join a startup. So everybody's going to be passionate about it, but it's nice to be able to kind of <laughs> recognize that things could all be a lot worse. Yeah. Mm. Patty. So I'm, I'm curious, like so from a product uh, person's perspective, um, obviously the, 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 the type of um, work that you guys are doing is like super complex. Like how do you simplify that so that the user experience for your customers um, as well as uh, you know, the patients in these research uh, cohorts um, are not, you know, caught up in the complexity of the product. Yeah, that's always the trick. I mean, my passion from Jump as a product person has been to take on those really big, complex problems and make them simple. I think people don't realize that simple is very hard, right? Complex is easy. I can throw every button on the screen and, you know, every single function that anybody can think of that can fit on there, but people who go to use it won't know what to do, right? So a lot of my career has been based on these complex problems. And when UMED came to me and I saw what they were trying to do, it was doubly exciting because it's not just the the software that has to be simplified, it's also the messaging because the world um, that we operate in is very complex. Life sciences and doing research on human subjects is the most regulated industry on the planet. So we have a complex application that needs to fit into a complex uh, industry. And then how do you make that simple? And I think there's not really one right way to do it, but it's constantly putting yourself in the position of the patient. So I will go out and look at every available product out there. I'll put myself in their shoes. I'll run through the buttons. I'll take out what we're doing to people who have no idea what we're doing. Right. And I think I hear a lot in startups and a lot from founders is, oh, I have to keep my idea secret. <laughs> 
right? Um, and I don't want anybody to steal my idea. It's not that easy to steal an idea. It can take millions of dollars for someone to take your idea, right? So taking your what you're working on and showing somebody outside of your group can really help understand where you may have missed that complexity or you've added complexity where it doesn't need to be. So I think the only way that you can really get there is by talking to people and bouncing your ideas off of them and really, you know, putting a fire to everything that you build. A lot of the applications that I've worked on, it's the simplest little thing that really makes that a, an award winner, right? It's not the big ideas all the time. You know, and I think people focus so much on the big ideas, they forget the little ideas. And these little things are the things that can make it very simple for users. Well said. I've got to say, I love looking at, uh, you know, when we're talking about what we're doing in a regulated industry, because I think it's fair to say that healthcare and life sciences and, and studies are, are, are quite a way behind, I think, in in terms of kind of user experience and you know, user-focused design than than a lot of other sectors. And I mean, one of the ones that I love looking at as a highly regulated industry is is banking, actually, and just the the evolution in terms of that sort of product and user experience in in banking apps um, over the last few years has been tremendous. You know, and I think there's so much you can learn. Like, there's so much complexity in terms of what's going on underneath the hood. And actually, the really and I always, you know, Wise is a really interesting one. They're a UK company. Um, they, they work called TransferWise. They you know, went public relatively recently, and they, you know, I, I just, I love using their, I lo- love using their platform. I mean, it just makes yeah, it's very simple. It, it's just so simple, even though, you know, and I've, I've been to other banks, and they just it makes it's literally makes you want to tear your nails out when you try to just do something quite simple and right the way through to their customer service you know like there's something i had to do with them to for some compliance thing it took about three minutes for them and somehow with this other bank it took about it took me days to kind of go backwards and forwards and you just think like why is it you know how how have they done that it's really really impressive And, and that's you know those kind of themes are what patty's helping me understand um and implement with inside UMED because um, particularly for the physician aspect, actually, of what we're doing as well as the patient, it's really interesting because physicians you think of as being, I don't know, maybe, maybe, or maybe not, you think of them as being sort of learned people that know how to use tech and, and it couldn't be further from the truth. We're absolute idiots. Like honestly, some of the worst and not only that we one, the, the reason why we're awful is one is we, we think we, we think we're clever and, and we think we know how to do it, but actually we don't. Um, we're also really busy all the time, or say we are anyway. And so uh, so we've got no patience. And then on top of that, you know, you've just, um, you know, actually just not that, not that often tech sort of savvy at all. Um, and um, for all those reasons, we're a nightmare group of people to work with. So um, actually having somebody that's got, sort of amazing experience and really thinking about it from a user perspective so easy to overlook because you just get focused so much on you know the process and the idea not actually you know the user aspect of this yeah as i say i think that's something that founders don't always understand they think well it's my idea i know best how to make that idea come to life right and it's just like every other profession it's a science right on how you humans interact with with computers and they don't have to bring on somebody like me full time, right? There are opportunities and and they can get that 
wisdom from people like myself, you know, whether it's through, you know, just calling up and saying, hey, do you mind, you know, having a conversation with me? That's how Matt, I ended up working with Matt at UMED, right? He recognized very early on that it is something that if he wants to achieve that simplicity and in this complexity, he needed to have people around him that understood it. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, as as a non-technical founder, how do you go about seeking out uh, mentorship or or advice so that you kind of know that you're you're you know you're you're building the, the something the right way. Yeah, I think I think that's a really difficult thing to do actually, and I mean I, I think a lot of it is um, kind of going back to that original idea of just I I think there was one thing that I kind of wish that I had you know done if I had to, if I had sort of my time again would be just to spend a year just speaking to people not trying to raise money not trying to do anything um but just having conversations with people about you know the issues the problem and 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 i think from that one you'd gain a huge amount of insights whether your idea was a good one or not secondly i find it's amazing when you go and ask people you know i'd love to get your thoughts on this as patty said they're generally just more than willing to help um and then through that, I think if you have enough of these connections, you start to then be able to kind of measure whether or not these people are charlatans or whether or not they actually know what they're talking about. Because the one thing I have observed is that I, my, my, you know, I've fallen foul quite a few times of of job titles and and, and being impressed by people's job titles and, and their apparent background. Um, and uh, that is definitely not the criteria you should be evaluating mentors against. You should, because you know they're they're often they've half the people have been over promoted and they've got a job title that's not actually representative of their experience they've often also you know they might be from a big company they know nothing about a startup and actually they've got a very niche understanding about a very specific area that they've been working in for the last 20 years which has allowed them to progress in their career but actually they've got no understanding of the big big picture you know and in in terms of that sort of you know that crossing the chasm analogy you know you have to be able to provide a whole product offering in order to be able to drive those early adopters you can you know you have to have something which somebody can buy it's no point having something that's just a very specific you know a specific thing which you can't which they can can't utilize in their workflow whatever that's going to be and you know, I found that a lot of people, a lot of those people and who, who have kind of impressive job titles and backgrounds uh, are actually so laser focused because they've they've had this huge mechanism behind them, whether it's at a university or at a big company to be able to fill in all of the gaps around, you know, their specific part of the problem. And so I think the people that I've generally been most kind of uh, impressed with are, are generally people that have actually been through that end-to-end process so other founders i think are, are, are generally you know there's a few that are um you know your stereotypical founder that have just kind of managed to power their way through the process through through kind of excessive confidence and bluster um um, but the vast majority aren't like that. The vast majority are actually very, very thoughtful people that have been through the pain and want to share that and want to be able to kind of um, help you whenever you can um, within the time that they have available. So 
I don't think that's a particularly helpful answer, but I think it's just choose your mentors really carefully because um, and speak to lots of people before you start committing. Because the other thing I did as well is when I when I first started, I was just over enthusiastic to offer anybody, you know, a bit of equity, you know, to be an advisor or an you know or, or a board member because you again you get like really impressed. You're like I know nothing, and there's these people that are, you know you know have, have these kind of impressive backgrounds and you think i definitely need them and you realize you don't need them you know what yeah. you need to have is just a lot of you, you need to have lots of conversations and then from that be very very specific about who you pick yeah i had a similar experience coming i came to the bay four years ago from being fully remote living overseas primarily being a freelance developer and when i came to the bay i was just kind of like i had a a a bit of an inferiority complex or like a fraud complex, and then just projected that everybody who had been in the industry for the amount of time that I was out base jumping in Europe yeah. had just so much more experience and knowledge than I did and made that assumption a number of times. And part of it came from, I mean, part, part of the process through that was just learning that everybody is just figuring out what they're doing from whatever perspective they're in. And there's a lot of ways that I actually had a lot more experience than a number of them in, for example, remote. Mm -hmm. And then another aspect was just coming to recognize my own level of uh, talent, skill, uh, experience, and just let myself actually have that and put myself on a level playing field with others as everyone has a different background everyone has different experience and we can all learn from each other and people who aren't me don't necessarily know more than me just because they have been in silicon valley for 10 or 15 years exactly and i, and I think you know the other thing is this there's, there's some people out there that are very very good at projecting confidence um without necessarily having substance and i think you know it's very easy i think as a founder to to feel intimidated by these people that have, are very articulate and very confident um and and like you said like assume that they have this like secret source that nobody mm. else nobody else does and and the truth is is like even you know if, if if it was easy if there was an answer then everybody would be doing it they would be doing it i'm also very i'm also yeah. always very skeptical of of kind of these sort of professional advisors these people that kind of come out and and you know are forever kind of saying that they can help you create strategy and i'm not saying that they're not valuable but part of me in the back of my mind is like well, if, you, if you're that good like do your own startup man like you know why 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 are you kind of trying to pee back off my startup if you if you're really that gifted you know do it yourself and i mean that's a small group of people there are some people that are fantastic at doing that and do it as a career but but you know i i just i think you're absolutely right i think you just need to have a little bit of confidence yourself not excessive confidence but just enough confidence to recognize you probably do have quite a lot of domain specific knowledge and something that you can actually really bring to the party and if you start from that and then absorb feedback in a in a thoughtful way i think you can't you know you're on you're on good standing and i think absorbing that feedback in a thoughtful way is really important you know because having worked with other founders sometimes every single idea that comes their way and somebody says, oh, that's a good idea. They want to pivot. You know? mm -hmm. And it's like they start. And as you start pivoting, you know, what happens six months later, you look up and you're like, what did I build and who did I build it for? Right. And so you, then you're having to go back and kind of dial back on what you've built. Right. So you have to you have to keep your vision and understand where you're going, but take that advice in as well. And that can be 
difficult if someone says, oh, you need to make a left over here. You're going to fail if you don't make a left over here. And you have to go, no, 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 I'm not going to make that left. I'm going to continue to go straight. And I think Matt's done a really good job at that, especially with as many roads in healthcare that we could take, right? So staying on the course has been super important. Yeah. Yeah. I think something, something that I've learned about advisors is they're not necessarily they don't know what's best for your you and your business they're not in your business the way that you are they may be in contact with a number of businesses and have a lot to say about what's going on in in the space or just in markets in general and in business experience but they don't know the things that you know being in the trenches and the best advisors are ones that help you think and help you see things you weren't seeing before and help you make decisions. And the best advisors that I've actually had have been people who have been, who are running their own company and became my friends. And I learned more from watching them go through their lessons than them telling me what to do about mine. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And the best advisors don't always have the title advisor. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. And as you say, I think the best people are the, the ones that you can, and also just have an honest conversation with right because there's always there's always a little bit of what you're trying to do is project that where you want to be as a company and you know it's it's sometimes difficult to actually have an honest conversation with certain people and say you know i'm having this real issue here what do you you know what's your take on it and if they've been through it it's amazing how you know how much you can get from that conversation um so yeah, I I, th- I generally think that's one of the hardest things as a as a especially as like a really early founder is it's like who who do you bring who do you bring into that sort of circle to to help you on those first steps because I think you can easily get that wrong, um, mm. and I think the other thing perhaps is also to be honest that you know sometimes you have to think from the start that actually this may be a stepping stone so so these these people that you're you're kind of engaging with because you know my, my experience was coming into the industry i you know I, I i was a doctor but i wasn't um you know i hadn't been in in health it or life sciences for 20 years so i was having to kind of build a lot of that network from scratch and so those those first people that you engage with you know and a lot of them are still heavily involved in umed and and, and are really really helpful but you realize that actually they get you to a point where suddenly you you then got access to another fantastic network of people that are, that are that perhaps even have more specific and relevant knowledge um, to what you need and expertise. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, just as a, when, when you're kind of formulating these relationships early on, it, it's just perhaps important to bear in mind that, you know, don't, don't, don't end up sort of getting into bed with somebody that you actually might not necessarily want or need to be in the business um in kind of a year or two's time so um but it's difficult right i was gonna say it's been interesting that you know a lot of some of our best advisors or people that we've gotten the best advice from you know weren't out advertising that that's what they do right um Mm -hmm. even for me when i joined as a consultant with umed i wasn't 
advertising consultant services, right? So Matt had heard about me through his CTO. He was able to look at my background and said, oh, this person fits what I need. And he reached out to me, right? And I was like, oh, wow, that sounds like a good idea. So never be afraid to look for what you need and talk to that person. Most people will have time to offer their opinion. And you're going to get probably uh, more solid advice or, you know, more grounded if, uh, you know, the person isn't, it isn't their business, right? They're there to, you know, support you along yeah. the way. Yeah. Well, we're getting close to our time. So I just have one final question for, I guess this is, this is for Matt. How much, if at all, do you miss working with a single patient at a time in its simplicity and its personalized impact on a single human i do at times uh, i think the um as you say the simplicity of it is just quite nice right there's still i'm obviously friends with still a lot of doctors and a lot of anesthetists and you know there is something very nice and pure about the fact that you, you you're going to work you know exactly what you're doing you're going to do some great stuff during the day and generally help that person and you'll go home and feel kind of happy about it at the end of the day hopefully um but then i kind of remember actually what the excitement that i get from working at umed and it's, it's a weird thing because you know i spend a lot of my time you know at my desk or at meetings having zoom calls and you know the actual kind of task you know my mother doesn't understand she's like what, what like what, can you not can i just say that you're a doctor still matt because it's much more easy for to, to explain that to my friends than, than this kind of crazy health tech startup thing that you're doing um because you know it's nice you know and, and there aren't have i have been very fortunate to have these kind of amazing experiences when i was a doctor where you you know where, where there's been emergencies or there's some specific things going on and you know you really feel like you've come away you know at the end of a night shift or something going oh, i actually did something kind of meaningful and it's it's hard in a startup because that meaningfulness you know often is a long lot further down the road than mm -hmm. um you know the end of a night shift it's it's like months or years um but i do think that that sense of building something uh is the thing that excites me most and and seeing something that's growing and actually having having that impact much wider than just you know one that one patient at a time i mean to give you know i, I can't remember how many patients have now been part of our studies over the last few months but we're in we're in thousands you know thousands of people that we've kind of touched and and obviously this is just the very start so um we're going to be doing more and more of that over the next year over the coming years and you know yeah so the, the very fact that we've already been able to achieve that with those kind of numbers i think is is the thing that makes me go do you know what i, I do miss it but at the same time i know what i'm what we're doing now is is much more exciting and actually is more fulfilling for me personally um, <laughs> than than that clinical job beautiful thank you so much matt and patty i really appreciate having you on the show great thank you very much thank you